Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Coman, sitting in the safe house, on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times, and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. What's happening with you? I'm hanging in there, Manny. You sound good. I like the, you got a little spring in your, in your voice there, spring in your step. Really? Uh, no, I, yeah, cool. Well, thank you. Uh, you're all right. Yeah. You know, better than most. I'm, 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 uh, you know, taking the temperature of the troubled nation out there and, uh, they're definitely troubled, man. Good. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know how good it is. I always, I find that, you know, the, the holidays, you know, some people get depressed during the holidays, um, but, but I always find that, uh, you, you know, they kind of, the holidays tend to build up expectations of a fun time. And even if you do have a really fun time, there's always kind of a drop off after that, you know, it's like, uh, you, back to the grind and, uh, you know, particularly now as, as, you know, everything's shutting down again or shut down the, the grind is, is, you know, more grindy than normal. So I uh, see out there a lot of people are. It's like are a router that grinds okay. wood. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about routers yeah. uh, uh, before we got came on the air there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people, especially in this town, they 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 they, they just kind of have to they class or they grasp onto the uh, to, to the idea that it's it just Thanksgiving just goes all the way to uh, Jazz Fest and there's no stopping them, you know. But you know. It's the, you got to go to work, people. You gotta you gotta get it together, and you, and you gotta uh, you know realize that uh, it's got to stop, and it's gonna stop, and it has stopped for a lot of people, you know. Yeah, well, we we typically go from you know once once uh, like Thanksgiving starts, then we just kind of hopscotch from one holiday to the next because we have. Yeah, because uh, you know, there's people Christmas, yeah. New Year's, and then uh, Mardi Gras season is upon us here. So right, you know, everything's a season down here. You know that, and uh, and since uh, uh, they're, they're both their big sports teams suck this past year, they they have to really celebrate the Mardi Gras season and stuff like that. Um, uh, but you know, it is what it is, and and it is New Orleans, and they they'll do it, and. Of course, it, in the long run, they'll be disappointed. Well, I, I don't know. I guess they'll hopefully they'll make the best of it. But uh, in, in other more more uh, personal news, I once again uh, spent a couple of days around somebody who, right after this time that we were together, tested positive for COVID, and I remain uninfected. Well, that's good. I'm starting to feel like a uh, fucking Omega man, you know, like, uh, I was, I was actually hoping that I would test positive thinking, okay, well, fuck it, man. I'll just get it over with. But, but nope, negative, you know, uh, I, I don't know if I, if I didn't get it this time, I, I don't see how I do wind up getting it. Well, you know, I guess my wife said that her dad would probably have thought, cause he was a pulmonary specialist and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Says everyone's gonna get it at least once. You're all gonna get it, you know, and that's the way we get rid of it is to actually right. get it. So you know, I haven't got it, and I, ha I you know, I don't know really anyone who's uh, who's. Well, I know some people have been tested positive and stuff like that, but um, 
You know, I, what I don't understand is why is why is uh, these home tests such a big deal now? I mean, wasn't wasn't it easy just getting tests all along? I mean, I could go get a test and you know just call someone and get a test. And now it's like you know the people are like our presidents, like we're going to send all these home tests to your house and stuff like that. What what's that going to do? I I don't get it. Well, you know, when you if you have to go somewhere and get a test. Uh, you know, there's, there's the logistical thing of, of getting there and then you don't know what kind of test you're going to get. If it's a PCR test, then that's going to be between a couple of days. And sometimes those things, it takes a week to, before you get the, the results back. It's like really useless at that point. But, you know, the home tests, they're, they're not as reliable, but they're like 15 to 20 or 15 to 30 minute results. So, you know, you can self-administer and, you know, at least have an idea before you are able to get in somewhere, you know, go wait in a line somewhere. Now, in New Orleans, I, I have been able to to get tested, you know, at a few different locations without a wait, but I don't think it's like that everywhere. Because uh, New Orleans, nobody's working. Nobody's doing anything, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that's true, but... Uh, but you know, I, I don't know. I guess they, they have enough testing capacity here. Yeah, that- I, I just don't get the big, huge uproar about this home testing and how it's got to you know, happen now and how everyone's down on our president for not you know, giving out these home tests and what's he going to do and all this kind of stuff. It's like, I, I don't get it. You know? People like to complain. Well, right? yeah, I know. Well, I took a pregnancy test yesterday just for fun. And, uh-huh. you know, those, those are instant. The, the results are instant. And yeah. Uh, how'd that come uh, out? Negative. Thank goodness. Okay. And, good. uh, so I went out and killed a rabbit just for fun. And, okay. uh, I, uh, got a HIV test too, because that's still around, you know, AIDS is still around. It is. It's, it it's is. around big time, but, uh, you know, I, I, I it was negative also. And I, I'm going to take a mad cow test next week. Okay. A mad cow test. I'm going to take. You know, we actually have a a, a listener um, who uh, a bunch of years ago tested positive for for HIV, and uh, they thought, okay, well, this is a death sentence, and they ran up a big credit card bill, and and you know, were planning on going out in a blaze of glory. And at some point, the doctor said, "Hey, look, you know, uh, with all, with all the drug treatment we have now, uh, you're not going to die from this." <laughs> and the person was like, "Well, fuck! What am I supposed to do now?" <laughs> Get a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get a job. <laughs> what wasn't counting on all that uh, that that time left on the clock? Was that former guest Jonathan Freilich? Was that him? It, it, it was not. It was uh, not a former guest. Uh, okay. It's a, a, a listener. Because you know, I ran into Jonathan Freilich. Freilich. Freilich, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I, Where'd you run into him? Uh, actually, I went to a very well-policed uh, uh, Christmas party uh, la- uh, last month. Okay. And he was there. And he was He's a there. good guy. Yeah, he was there. I didn't even recognize him. He came up to me and started talking to me like he knew me, and I was like, I have no idea who you are. <laughs> until, until Dave Clemens told me who he was. But he... His dad was with him. His dad uh, was with him, I guess, visiting for the holiday. And I think his dad might live here now. Oh, really? I have no I idea. So. But it, I met his father, and care, uh, our, the host of the party, the host and hosted, had bought a special bottle of vodka for uh, the vodka drinkers. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, I'm a vodka drinker. My wife is a vodka drinker. And Jonathan's dad was a vodka drinker. And um, the host of the party came out and uh, the party started like at six. And by eight o'clock, she said, what happened to all the vodka? (laughs) It was gone. So me and Jonathan's dad downed this bottle of vodka. And uh, we're just kind of looking at each other like, well, no, it was you. No, it was you. No, it was you. Fortunately, (laughs) fortunately, she had more vodka, but uh, she bought this special bottle just for us. And it was good stuff, man. I can't remember the name of it, but it was good stuff. And it was a good party. It was nice to actually, uh, you know, everyone had to have uh, plastic wrapped around them. So we couldn't <laughs> touch each other. It was like body condoms. Okay. We had body condoms on. It was. Uh, huh, okay. Some was, bubble wrap. Yeah, some bubble wrap and stuff like that. But it was good to see Jonathan. He, uh, he, uh, he, uh, he seems okay. I, I don't know. Yeah, he's got always got a lot on the ball, you know. He's got a, got a, a lot of irons in the fire, that Jonathan. Right. Yeah. But uh, so everything else is okay. Did you ever get your roof fixed? I I still haven't gotten the roof fixed. I finally today got a second uh, estimate for the repair, and uh, you know I was planning on going back to the insurance company with that to to you know, use it as a leverage to, uh, to improve my settlement, but I don't think this, this estimate is going to help me. So I think at this point, I'm just going to have to, uh, go ahead and, and, and have the thing fixed with, 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 uh, what they already gave me. Yeah. They're, they're, they're trying to fuck everyone over, man. You know? They're, yeah. They're, yeah. Well, it's, they, 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 it's a war of attrition, you know, they, they give you something and then they make it uh, you know, they just wear you out. They can wait forever, and they figure, you know, everybody has real lives they have to get back to, and uh, you know, you can't can't make it your second job to fight with the insurance company. At some point, you just cut your losses and move well, on. Well, you know, anyway, yeah, I understand that totally. Uh, but there's one thing. I, I uh, last night I actually finished watching that whole Beatles documentary. Get back. Uh-huh. I watched all. What was it? Forty episodes? I, I uh, yeah, I think it was a forty or fifty. Yeah, yeah. some fucking. I, it was just ridiculous how long this thing went on for. But I actually finished watching it, and I realized when you know it was all over, I realized looking back at all the episodes and looking at the car- you know, at everyone and the music and all the all the all the stuff that was going on, the personalities and all that kind of stuff. The favorite thing about the whole documentary to me was Yoko. I thought she was fabulous, Yoko. Yoko okay. Ono. She uh, uh, she was interesting. Uh, the way she would just stand there and gaze out and stare out into space for <laughs> hours on hours, and then she would like you know say things and stuff like that, and and uh, or she would try singing a song or she'd sing along with the ba- the band and stuff. Because the other four guys, I mean, we we know all about them, you know. It was like, you know, I've known, you know, we know all about. But Yoko was the best thing for me. I, I thought she was fabulous. I really did. Okay, you all know? right. Well, I, I I did enjoy seeing her and 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 Linda McCartney, you know, uh, uh, chatting. Uh, Do you know what you, you know what you call a pig with wings? Oh man, Linda McCartney. That's what you oh, call it. Oh no, Linda. <laughs> 
Linda's a lovely girl. She was a lovely girl. Well, you knew her uh, personally? No, just from what I could tell, just like the way you you liked seeing uh, uh, Yoko there. You know, I, I I don't know her personally. I don't know any of them personally, but you know, from what you what you can glean from uh, all those uh, you know hours and hours and hours of of uh, footage. So yeah, I was I was so so having watched it once all the way through. You know, our our, our guest uh, Kyle Malasson told us that he'd watched it three times. Oh, so God. far, all the way through. He's got a lot of time on his hand, I guess, huh? Well, and and he's a huge Beatles fan, you know, as are many people. And I've watched it once all the way through. And there's a, so, a few things I'd like to revisit because it there it is very dense. There's a lot that goes by, a lot that uh, you know you pick up the second time, I would imagine, but. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's that's quite a quite a document there. What it's- I did also notice is like you know me, I I, I think the four the the Fab Four are kind of like me. None of those guys wash their hair. Did you notice that? It looked like none of those guys washed their hair. I did notice that John Lennon went through a period of three or four days where he doesn't look like he showered at all or even changed his clothes. Well, that's Europeans for you. You know, that's the Europeans. They're filthy. <laughs> yeah. People. I think he, he, he might've been on a little bit of dope too. You know, it's a uh, uh, hygiene isn't your, your highest priority. Yeah. Well, to get back to Yoko, I just thought she was fabulous. I really okay. Do, all right. You know? yeah. All right. There you go. Well, she's still around, Manny. So uh, you know, she's still still. And making Linda music. McCartney isn't though. Linda is not. Yeah, sadly, sadly, Linda has left us, like like so many other people. The world's getting smaller, Manny, but uh, but we have to have to trudge on. Okay. Put a smile on your face. Did you see they had a, a big Betty White parade down in the French Quarter? You know, like we always talk about how they'll do, they'll make a parade for anything. Yeah, I heard they're having one for prickly heat this Saturday. They're having okay, a parade right. for prickly uh, heat uh, and for well, and it's good. It's going to be so cold too. Yeah, so and I think uh, Sunday they're having the yeast infection parade. They're going to have a second okay. line for yeast infection. Uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to be. I'm the king of that parade. Are you the king of that parade? Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Did not realize that. It's, it's quite, quite. I've been hearing. I've been hearing our guest like humming and doing some kind of sound, and finally he speaks. He speaks. Uh, I, I saw him uh, muting his microphone. I kept unmuting it, so I wasn't sure. I want. I want to be able to hear him, but uh, now, now he's now he's back. I, 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 I had to scream a couple times, so I muted. <laughs> uh, no, we we like to hear all the screams, the laughs, the you know all that stuff. Is that is that the gonorrhea talking the screams or are the hemorrhoids? <laughs> oh, Manny, I can't get into what's making me scream, but but, but it's 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 neither of those two things. Well, uh, Manny, uh, maybe we should uh, get our guest in here. Yeah, let's introduce him. He's a two-time Grammy Award winner or something like that, isn't he? Uh, he's uh, he's definitely a winner. Um, he's uh, he's a Great guitar player, songwriter, uh, recording engineer, record producer, uh, former owner of the Mermaid Lounge, as well as an architect and builder. He's uh, one of the founders and of Tribe Nunzio, and uh, as well as uh, the great Geraniums group that I that I have played in for so long. And uh, so we're going to get into all that. But without further ado, the great Mr. Jeff Treffinger. Welcome, Jeff. Good evening, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be with you. <laughs> and so nice to have you here, Jeff. Now, for, for those that don't remember, uh, 
Jeff, you were one of our very earliest guests. I had to had to look it up. You were you were on episode number seventeen. Uh, is that true? Okay, and then Brendan and I were on one together, if I'm not mistaken. A bonus kind of uh, episode that you and Brendan came on after after Brendan had uh, had been in a coma, and we thought thought that he had passed he was he was he was on his last legs and he came back to life and uh came down to new orleans and we had him on uh, episode 21 so it was a short time so we're we're now this is going to be episode 189 so that was three and a half years ago that uh that you were on that was uh that that exam that uh, episode was a clean sample from jeff treffinger well congratulations uh troubled man that's quite a quite an accomplishment 189 episodes. Fantastic. Of course, uh, you know, a lot has happened in the last three and a half years. We've been doing this for three and a half years? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah we're coming up, coming up on the fourth year, Manny. Oh, my God. I actually started publishing in uh, 2018. Started doing the, the first couple of uh, our first, uh, you know, dabbling with it. We started in uh, at the end of 2017, believe it or not. Anyway, it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, covered a lot of ground. We weren't sure what, what it was going to wind up uh, being there when we started off. And, and actually, Jeff, I remember we, we did an episode with you that was so early on, we didn't have our recording technique together, and we, we recorded a whole episode which we weren't able to use because it was so noisy and distorted. And uh, so we, we, you know, thankfully you're a, a good friend. You're able to come back and, and, and do that, uh, that clean sample episode yeah <laughs> so for those that uh that that don't know you well don't remember that uh you're not a new orleans native so i won't ask you where you went to high school here uh, uh wh where are you from and how'd you get down to new orleans i grew up uh in new jersey i was born in newark and grew up in essex county and came down here when i was 20 to go to school i was a uh, accepted at Tulane and uh, entered the uh, architecture school in, I guess it was 1978. And that's when I first came to New Orleans. Dutch Morial had just been elected. Um, I had come down to visit a friend of mine who was living here about a, a year before that and kind of was intrigued by the city and was desperately trying to get the hell out of New Jersey for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but um, so I took the opportunity to come down here and go to school. And, you know, uh, Jeff, I bumped into your old uh, uh, dorm mate uh, a couple of days ago. Who's that? Um, God, what's his name? Uh, I, I, I forgot his name. He said, hey, Manny. I said, hey. Because <laughs> I can't remember his name, but he was your roommate at Tulane uh, for a couple of years. Uh, he still lives here. He's got a lovely wife and two boys. Uh, oh, Greg. Greg, Greg yeah. Greg, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, we yeah. lived in an apartment um, okay. on Ferret Street together. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. He uh, he said, uh, hey, how you doing and all that. I remember, I remember because I was out on campus and I remember – you guys went to school together and you were roommates and stuff and you used to hang out the both of you used to hang out at the basement of the Tilton library together if i remember correctly right never 
<laughs> and you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I, I, know, I know where you're dragging this anchor, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that never happened, right? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. That's correct. No, he, uh, he wasn't, uh, we weren't in school together. He was, uh, he was like a residual roommate that came with the apartment that I moved oh, into. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. yeah and, oh, and we became good friends and still are. He's, uh, he's a guy who, uh, Greg Enselin is who we're speaking about. And he, sure. he, you know, has a whole lot to do with what happened on the, you know, in the Fred Street revival. He's, he's a lot of, uh, He's developed a lot of that. He's big in the neighborhood association. Um, yeah, this whole land baron, he has uh, yeah. a lot of holdings over there. He does, yes. in fact. Yep. yep. He's another Jersey boy. He's from Vineland, uh, down south near the Pine Barrens. Oh, okay. How far is that from where you grew up? Uh, probably like three hours south. I mean, you could do the whole state in four and a half hours north right. to south. Right. Now, I remember you told me a story about uh, when you were growing up, you were making, I think, uh, your communion or your confirmation, and you had the guy you chose to be your sponsor or godfather. Uh, yeah, my Uncle Sal. Yeah, your Uncle Sal. Uh, and you invited all these people. Of course, that's what you do. You invite all these people and stuff like that. But you had, you had invited someone that your uncle was not prepared to see, correct? Oh, no. Well... Well, the, the fact that my uncle was not prepared to see this man was absolutely true. But um, it was it was in the in the church we sat in alphabetical order to make our confirmation. And the kid who sat to my left was Anthony Stazone, and his uncle was his sponsor. So my uncle Sal sat next to Anthony Stazone's um, sponsor. And, uh, you know, when we got to the altar and kneeled down, the, the, the protocol was for your sponsor to put his hand on your shoulder. Right, while, right, right, right. While the bishop, you know, gave you communion. And um, my Uncle Sal was, like, digging his fucking hands into my shoulder, like, really hard. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out, like, I, I, I didn't want to turn and, like, look at him. And he had this ridiculous red suit on. It was fucking funny. And uh, it wasn't until we got back to the house that he said, he goes, and I don't remember Anthony Stazone's uncle's name. Let's just say it was Joey Stazone. And he said, Jeffrey, you didn't tell me I'd be sitting next to Joey Stazone. And I said, oh, well, Uncle Sal, I didn't know that. He goes, I owe that man $25,000. Oh, jeez. And Joey was like a mobster type, wasn't he? No, I, I think my uncle Sal was in the drywall business. You know, he was, okay. a, dry, he was a drywall contractor, commercial dry, all drywall. Right, so contractor. it's all connected. It's all connected. It could have been materials. It could have been, you know, materials in quotes. <laughs> right, 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 right. A lot of yeah. cement and drywall. There's a lot of there, there was a lot of setting time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, so so Jeff, uh you, you know, you come down here to go to school uh -huh. and 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 you uh you 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 you're working as as an architect and draftsman and stuff, but uh you've always played music. You played guitar, studied guitar as a kid and yeah. and uh uh you at some point you you start Tribe Nunzio. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I was working, uh, I, you know, I've had bands since I was in fourth grade, and uh, I've always played music and always been in bands. I mean, in Jersey, that was the big thing to do was go down and, you know, somebody's cellar on a Friday night and play music. And when I came to New Orleans, I found a couple people to play with. Um, and we were, you know, we were just really having fun, not doing any kind of serious gigging. And then somehow I got connected, I think through Nick Sonsenbach with uh, Damon Shea and Vernon Rome, who were playing in Waka Waka. And, okay. and then, um, you know, they kind of got an earful of what we were doing and said, you know, we want, we want in and we'd like to play. And we started playing with them. And I think that was the first time I had ever played with like a real rhythm section, mm -hmm. you know, something that really puts a octane in everything we were doing. Very exciting. And also really, really incredible people. Um, you know, so I became fast friends with both of them and they knew Holden from the Continental Drifters oh. and she came over and did a practice one day and she was like, no, it's not for me. You all got it together. You know, she, and then she kind of maybe four or five months later, um, she came back and started singing with us. And, uh, you know, that's when, uh, everything really started to happen because of, um, you know, we were starting to gel and, and we had a great front person who was like, you know, the most magnetic person in the room and incredibly talented singer and had great stagecraft and presence. And, you know, it was uh, very lucky. And it was a very fun band to be in. Is it during that time that you first meet uh, Brendan Gallagher? I met Brendan Gallagher um, early in the Tribe Nunzio days because he owned a club in the warehouse district called The Economy, corner of Gerard and Commerce. And it was like a, it was a restaurant on Friday and Saturday nights. And then uh, they would have shows later in the evening. And we used to do Saturday night shows and, uh, the, the first thing that impressed me the most about Brandon is uh, every time we took a break, he'd hand me a hundred dollars and ask me to go drive to the Schwegmans and buy more beer. And I would go to the Schwegmans on an annunciation and buy like, you know, 15, 20 cases of Schaefer and drive them back and give them to him so they could stock out the bar because they never had enough beer on hand. Well, that was a really tiny place for Tribe Nunzio to be playing, huh? I mean, it uh, couldn't have held, held more than 70 people or yeah, something. Well, we had nobody, No, you know, this is our first three or four gigs. We didn't have any following. Okay. Uh, and that's sort of, uh, that was a cool scene because I don't know if you remember, um, Clint Peltier's Exart was right next door to that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I totally remember that. Yeah, we used to play there with uh, with Brent and, and George the Max and Melinda Pendleton. We would play as Melinda's barnyard buddies <laughs> at, 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 at the economy. So Yep, yep. So there was a scene, you know, that was like the, the uh, it was like the, the, the 
I guess the Lower East Side of New York in the in the eighties or the seventies when like the adults had left the room. There was there was nothing down there. The the World's Fair had sort of been a big failure and there was uh-huh. not a lot going on, a lot of abandoned buildings. So you could make as much noise as you wanted and um it was all good. It was fun. It was fun. I met Pat Cronin in those days and Joyce, uh, you know, his girlfriend. And it was, it was a great scene. Now we're getting into some of the people that, that you wound up starting uh, uh, the Mermaid Lounge with. Yes, that's right. Brendan, um, well, the economy shut down. Um, I can't recall why, but it ran its course. And then um, Tribe Nunzio was playing quite a bit. And Brendan and I um, wrote some songs. He brought lyrics to Tribe Nunzio. And we wrote a couple songs together for Tribe Nunzio. Um, and after a spell, I remember I was working some construction job and I got a call from Brendan and he said, uh, hey, you wanna, do you want to meet me uh, Friday afternoon? There's this building not far from the economy that's for rent and um, I'm going to see if maybe you'd be interested in opening a bar. And that was it. Didn't say who was going to be there or anything. But um, when I showed up to that meeting, there was, um, there was seven other people there and uh, much to Brendan's credit, each one of them kind of had their own galaxy of friends from different neighborhoods and different parts of the cities, different social stratas. And when we all partnered up and became the mermaid, I think we chipped in, I think it was either 250 or 300 bucks each to cover the rent and buy enough beer for the first weekend. And, and, and uh, so we pooled from all these different groups of friends, uh, different, uh, different crews of people. So there were, you know, it became popular fast. Right. And, and I remember, I think the iguanas played the, the opening night, the official opening night. And I didn't really know you then. And, and the, the guys in the band told me where it was. And I, I thought, Jesus, that seems like a good place to, to dump a body, but, but not for much else. And and it was actually a good place to dump a body, but it was also a great place to uh, to have a rock and roll club. That again, the it was no adult supervision. We got to do what we wanted. We had our own clubhouse there. Uh, oh yeah. We, and you right away uh, put a uh, some studio equipment in there and and had recording facility, so you would record almost every live gig. But then also we used it as a, a, a studio during the daytime or an, on in off periods, and uh, you recorded a, a whole bunch of records there. And we have we recorded stuff together that was released, and yeah. you know, sounds like uh, you know any other commercial release. Yeah, Clint. Uh, you know, uh, many many um, compliments to Clint Montz, the you know one of the greatest New Orleans geniuses. Um, cause he, he built the studio with me, but it was, you know, it was him who really figured out how to do it and how to build an isolated room in the club and how to wire it and, um, you know, how to get the right feed so that we didn't interfere with the PA 
Um, so it was, uh, it was like the back of a van. It was a very small room, as you well remember. Right, a closet you had there, yeah. But for a brief time, it was the only room in the Mermaid that had an air conditioner in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of how I wind up uh, meeting you and, and getting tight with you is, I guess, Kelly Keller had booked uh, Glenn Styler um to into the mermaid yeah and 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 he was just doing a, a solo thing or maybe he and i would, would do a duo thing and then he had had another guitar player who was his accompanist at times and he played there a bunch of times and then you wound up approaching him to uh record uh, a song that you had written with with Brendan Gallagher, and that wound up being like the beginning of the the geraniums material that we that we you know still play. We still play that song that that you guys recorded with Brendan. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember you know meeting him at the bar and um, talking to him. I you know I was very intimidated by him for because he was. Well, that's uh, the idea. That's 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 on, on purpose. Oh, right? I know, and it worked. It worked. Yeah, and. Uh, and then, you know, I remember talking to him, and, and his first question was, where are you from? And I said, Brendan and I are from both from New Jersey. And he thought for a second, he goes, well, I've never worked with anybody from New Jersey, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, went over his apartment at Cone Street after he had had the song for, I don't know, maybe two weeks and he played it for me and uh, I was like, holy shit. You know, he really did take the song and make it his own. And uh, it, it, you know, it gave me a, a, a real vision that, oh my God, some of these, if you can get people to do this music. Cause at that point, you know, Brendan was, um, he was a poet um, and he's always, you know, remains a poet, but, he wasn't a singer. So the right. idea of us performing this stuff with him singing was, uh, was a real abstract idea to me. I didn't see how that would quite work yet. And that's when I, I became really good friends with Brent, who was recording that um, version, which ended up um, on the Mermaid Lounge record. And right. it's, it's, it's a beautiful rendition of uh, Chislin or No Newts its co-title is so that was the beginning of of uh you know your association with him and then and uh, you and i got to know each other from playing there at the, at the mermaid and and uh you know obviously you're wound up being married to the the, the girl that i went to high school with and your brother-in-law with one of my closest friends from high school so again new orleans is a place i would i know you about five different ways jeff if i didn't know you from from playing music, but uh, but you recruit me and and Brent to to go in. I guess you had worked at at uh, Kingsway Studio at the Daniel Lanois Studio there, um, and knew Malcolm Byrne, uh, yeah. and the great producer. And uh, somehow Malcolm had uh, had you'd done some work for Malcolm, and and he he agreed to record a record for you, and you brought in me and Brent and and we went and, and with Malcolm made uh, the the first geraniums record which then all this is before the geraniums even had a name but we went in and recorded uh, little houses in space that's right that's right yeah Malcolm had built uh, a studio 
on a house, in a house he bought on Cluett, uh, Cluett and Rampart. Um, and I helped him do some work in that house. But he was intrigued because he had heard some of our demos and he had heard the song that Brent did. Um, and uh, we, I remember we went in there. We, had, we didn't even, we had never even rehearsed the songs. Right. You, We'd never played together as a band. No, yeah. uh-uh. It was cold. Everything was, you know, rehearsed one or two times, if even that. And then uh, we recorded it. It was pretty incredible. And uh, I love that record. It had Malcolm's production aesthetic all over it too. I mean, Malcolm Malcolm had a lot to do with how that record sounded, of course. Yes. And uh, you know, it was it was great to work with him. He, he's um, you know he's got a lot of creative energy, and um, sees his job as to you know manifest the best possible version of whatever songs in front of him. Now, what's the difference between a record and an album? For me, it's two different ways to describe the same thing. You know, a record is a recording. An album is a collection of recordings. Uh, you know, you have the physical record, uh, you know, in terms of like an LP, but even a CD is a record in the sense that it's a, it's a recording. It's a, it's a record of the material, you know. It's, it's a document. So, that's... Uh, I always thought an album was like pictures of your family. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> could could be that as well. But so what's an LP compared to an EP? LP simply means long play. Right. And EP is extended play. And I think the LP in the old days suggested it rolled at 33 and a third. Now, what's the difference between a 45 and a 38? Uh, well, yeah, I'm not touching that one, Manny. Well, you know, a 38 will go right through you, but a 45 will, it has more knockdown power. Well put, Renee. Well I think, put. I think that's, that's the major difference. Uh, uh, 45 kicks more. Um, but but generally, a, a 45 is an automatic, which can jam on you. Well, I thought a 45 had an A, a and B side. Well, sure, that's that's true too. That's true too, Manny. Yes, we're. I, I like the wordplay you're engaging in here. Hey, Manny, what's the difference between a a bartender and a stagecoach driver? Uh, I don't know, Jeff. Tell me. A stagecoach driver only has to look at two assholes all day long. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, speaking of bartenders, uh, Manny, it seems like about that time, don't you think? Yeah, sure. Well, why don't you get us out? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Troubled Nation, uh, we take our break, and uh, you know what to do. We get some libations. Jeff, you know what to do. Jeff, you sound like you have a cold or something. Are you sniffling a lot or something like no, that? No, no, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm Are, you, I, good? I, I, Are I, you snorting some Coke or something? Earlier. Yeah. Earlier you were? I ran out, and, um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm just wiping the mirror, you know, whatever I can get. Okay. Okay. okay, there you go. And we'll be right back. Please, won't you read this letter? I tell you I'll behave much better. Maybe just to get my sweater. Can I come home 
with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman, back with our guest, Mr. Jeff Treffinger. Now, Jeff, I know you're uh, not only one of our earliest guests, but a, 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 a faithful listener. So uh, I know you're, you're familiar with how this works. Uh, you know, we have the, the sponsor, Loose Change. Uh, so all the, the troubled nation out there can, uh, can send in your loose change, or whether you find it in your, your pants pockets or uh, the, uh, uh, the, the dryer or uh, even your daughter's room. Um, and, and we have the, uh, the PayPal link in, or the Venmo link in the show notes of every episode and the Facebook page. We also have the, the Patreon page where we have uh, some dedicated patrons who, who support the podcast week in and week out. And, uh, you know, we have the social media. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And, uh, you know, we, we ask everyone, if you're enjoying the show, whatever, wherever you're listening to this podcast, go ahead and subscribe there, whether it's uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or there's a million different apps, but uh, subscribe, uh, rate us, give us a five-star review, and uh, tell your friends about the, about the Troubled Nation, about the Troubled Podcast, because, uh, you know, we're, we're building, but uh, we can use all the help we can get, like everybody else. Amen. 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 Amen to that, yeah. Amen, amen, amen Troubled Men. Amen. Yeah. Like Sidney Poitier used to sing that song, Amen, from hmm. that movie. Remember that movie where he built a church for a bunch of fucking racist nuns? Mm-hmm. What was the name of that movie? I forget the name of that movie. Lilies of the, Va- Lilies of the Field. Lilies of the Field. Yes, exactly. Huh. Okay. Remember that? That's... He sang that song, Amen, and he got those uptight nuns to sing that song. <laughs> <laughs> I vaguely remember. You don't that. remember that movie? It was one of his uh, best movies. Yeah. Huh. Great movie. yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I have recently uh, revisited some uh, Peter Bogdanovich films that I never saw. You're, you're not going to believe I've, I, I, until this week, I'd never seen The Last Picture Show. Oh, wow. Or Paper Moon. Oh, God. Where have you been, man? Yeah. I know. I remember my parents seeing them as a kid going to the movies and saying that, that they enjoyed it, but. They never took you. 
they didn't take me. I was a little kid, but but then I've never seen it all these years, you know. So uh, oh, so I God. actually watched watched both of those this week. Quite entertaining, man. Oh yeah, great black and white, and uh, yep. uh, you know I I went out with Tatum O'Neill once. I was going to ask you if you uh, really? have that. In my- so tell us about that. Tell us about your, your well, Tatum she, O'Neill. She wasn't uh, awake, but I was there with her. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That might be a crime, man. <laughs> well, I didn't say I did anything. I just said we went out. You know, She was passed out, and I drove. Uh-huh. And I, I left. You guys just drove around Hollywood? Uh, yeah. I, I, well, more like West Side Malibu, and I dropped her off at some hospital, and I drove off. You know, oh, jeez! You know, but uh, that's yeah, you know, that's that's crazy going that stuff. That's know. a beautiful story, man. Was- <laughs> but uh, but she was fabulous in that film. She won an Oscar for that. Yes, film. she did. She did, and uh, and the great thing about them, they were both in black and white, and uh, uh, and I think not only was Tatum great in that movie, but I think it's her father's best role that he ever did in his career. I would agree. And, yeah, and yeah. they bounced off each other so well because they were related, and they could, you know, ba 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 ba. And Last Picture Show uh, had so many great performances. Uh, uh, the late Cloris Leachman, I think, she yep. was fabulous in that film, and mm-hmm. that's when we got introduced to, I think, Sybil Shepherd. Yes, and she's she's terrific. Uh, I was so impressed with you know for at such a young age, she comes out as as such a mature actress, man. Well, yeah, yeah, and also you got to also remember that uh, Peter Bondanovich had a thing for young girls. You know, he uh, uh, what was her name, Dorothy Stratton. He uh, he he had a thing for her, and actually they star date, eighty. Yeah, they dated and and stuff like that. And I think the same thing was with Sybil too. Now I don't know if mm. they ever hooked up or not, but you know, it, it, you could tell it was there, and uh, you know, and I think uh, Harvey Weinstein worked on that film too, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Didn't he have a thing for young girls too? Yeah, he had a thing for lots of girls, uh, women, you know, all sorts of things. Uh, yeah, like that, yeah, you know, yeah, criminal but, thing. Um, you know, but anyway, yeah, I'm 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 glad you saw those films because God, I remember I saw Paper Moon. I I introduced my daughter to that film when she was around the same age, and she loved it. You know, and she started smoking because yeah. of it. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I've I've been thinking about taking up smoking again, man. You know, I don't know if it's the, the seeming fatalistic time we're in. I mean, I'm not actually going to do it, but I. I well, I, I don't know smoked. if you're going to do it because uh, you're such a cheap fuck, and cigarettes are like eight bucks a pack now. So I don't. Yeah, think they're, they're. I don't think you want to. I don't think you want to. You know, invest that kind of money. No, but t- no. tar tar kills COVID. You should really start. <laughs> <laughs> Nicotine kills everything. No, it's tar. It's, it's, it's tar. Tar, it's tar, tar hits the spike protein and it's dead. There you yeah. go. I don't think I'm actually going to do it, but I, but it has crossed do my it, mind Renee. a couple of times. Oh, now you're saying do, do it. it. Okay. Do all right, it. All right. If you okay. do it, I'll do it with you. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> I will do it with you. We'll go back, buy a pack of camels tomorrow, right? You know, man, tomorrow oh, night. man, oh, man, it's Chevitz. Look where this is going. Yeah. Uh, okay, we better get back to Jeff here. Oh, He's no. the, the, vo- no. the voice of reason. No, no, yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying listening to you both. You know, always, always the voice of reason, Jeff. That's that's one thing I like Jeff about you. Jeff is one of those guys who used to smoke pot from an apple core, right, Jeff? You know, it's funny you mention that. Um, <laughs> 
because we're we're here actually, I think, to talk somewhat about Brendan Gallagher and the geraniums and all that. And uh, right, I, uh, I, you know, I, I saw Brendan uh, a couple days before he passed away. I went down. I was in New York, and I went down Jersey Shore where he lived, um, and I sat on the couch and talked to him, and we talked about smoking weed out of an apple core. That was like one of the one of the things we talked about, um, which we both did. Yeah, everybody did. Yeah, one time or another. Mm-hmm. Sure, you get in a, in a pinch, you know. Yeah, you, you get, get resourceful. You don't have a pipe, you don't have a bong or whatever, and you could just go to the grocery store and steal an apple so fast. Oh yeah, you know, you know, you steal an apple, and if you've got some good stuff, then you know what's the problem, man? It's all it's all organic, man. As they say, it's all organic, man. You know, and now, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's big news in this state. You know, the, the pot's like legal, man. In, in many ways, medical marijuana is here. Yes, Louisiana. Yes, they've been distributing uh, flour uh, at at uh, you know the regular smokable weed at uh, pharmacies. Yeah, because they're having a hard it, time man. keeping up with the with the production, but I'm sure that that will catch up. Yeah, the CVS is just playing Marley on the loop. Okay, <laughs> and and the CVS uh, receipt is made of zigzags. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Really? Yeah. really it's gonna, uh, anytime you go to CVS, it's always this like f- uh, three foot long receipt that you get at CVS. But now it's made of zigzag paper, I hear. And it's got glue on one side. It's got glue okay. on one side. All right. Exactly. Excellent. Excellent. One-stop shopping. That's yeah. Well, Jeff, let's get back to uh, to this this terrific new Geraniums record that you just put out. So, uh, you know, we, we made a, a second record, uh, This Is About This, with the, the Geraniums has always been a band that attracted a lot of musicians as, as uh, fans, and sometimes they would, they would uh, know the material so well they would, uh, they would worm their way into the band. Like we had Peter Holzapple uh, wormed his way into the band. He was playing uh, accordion with us for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alex McMurray as well, the, you know, has, has played guitar with us on and off over the years. Sure. And uh, um, some of these people showed up uh, on the, the second record, which we recorded at, at your truck farm uh, uh, studio you had there on, on uh, St. Claude, the That's location right. where we did the Chaz Fest for so many years. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I was I was looking back over that record, and I'd forgotten that that goat, uh, Andrew Gilchrist, and Ben Ben Mumphrey were were both credited as recordists on that record, which I did not recall. Chris Finney as well. Chris Finney did some engineering on that stuff. Uh huh. Okay, and Malcolm Byrne came back down, uh-huh. and and uh, we recorded it in in the the one side of that that shotgun double. Yep. And uh, made a made a very organic sounding record. It's full of terrific material. And uh, then we uh, about another eight years went by where we continued to play uh, gigs at the the Circle Bar. We had a residency there for a long time. Kelly Keller, a big fan, big promoter of the band. Yes, she loved us. And then somewhere along the line, uh, Ben Mumphrey. Uh, got control of studio in the country. That's right. A, a yep. high level studio out there in Bogalusa that a, a lot of 
a lot of uh, records from the 70s and 80s and 90s were recorded there, but it was kind of laying fallow there. And, and Ben, he was managing it and, and kind of revitalized it and started inviting us, us up there. And the geraniums would go up every few months. And, you know, you and Brendan would come in with, with two or three new songs. We'd rehearse them uh, at, uh, at, at your house. And then we'd go do a recording session. Right. Right. And uh, what was so great about that uh, working up there was Ben, you know, we went in and I, you know, had a long talk with Ben about how to best record this band because, you know, Brendan, not a, you know, he's not used to the recording studio, hadn't done a lot of work in a studio. And I'd done enough work with Damon uh, in Tribe Nunzio to know that he hated working in headphones and, you know, he didn't want to work with a click track ever. So Ben figured out a way to set us up so that it was very much like playing at the circle bar that, you know, we were all just playing naturally in the room, no headphones. Uh, Brendan had, uh, you know, uh, monitors to hear himself, uh, didn't have headphones on so we could communicate real easily and make, you know, it was very easy to perform. It felt incredibly natural. And I think, that's what's so great about this record. One of the things I love so much about it is it, it just it just sounds like a band in a room. It does it's not produced heavily. It's it's just these really great performances where you can hear, you know, the the communication between people who have played music together for a really long period of time. And you know, that intimacy takes years to develop. And um you know, uh, and I, you know, that's what I miss the most about not having Dame and Shay around anymore to play drums, you know, to play drums. And, uh, uh, but that's all over that record. Right. There was the, so much emotionalism is, is, uh, is, is preserved in those recordings and so much communication, uh, b b between the, the players. And, you know, that's, it's a band. I, I love it when, you know, you're playing along and there's a spot where any number of people could fill this spot, like going into the next phrase, but everybody makes the, the choice to just let the space exist. And that is such a, Mm, it's it's a sophisticated choice man because you know that your your first impulse is to well let me do something to, to carry this over but you know that band we had had such such rapport and as you say in that 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 intimate setting that that ben had created where we could could hear each other so well and see each other you could you could take those kind of chances yes yeah you could and um you know, I think everybody in the band um, understood that this music hung on Brendan's words and you needed to create space for those words. You needed to make sure that, you know, the phrases um, could be digested before something else took your attention. And um, there was a certain reverence that we all had for him. Um, as, a, as, a, as a person who became a singer, 
You know, he, he really did. I mean, I said earlier that it was hard for me to believe in the early days of working with Brendan that, you know, we could ever really hold a stage and perform together. And now listening to this record, I was listening to it with Brent and we were listening to uh, the first track, Pale as Jane, and Brent just, he had tears in his eyes and he said, this is Brendan manifesting himself as a rock and roll singer. You know, and it was an incredible growth and watching somebody become something. For my frequent failures and my lost refrain, from this mighty purse there comes a paltry train. And in the cold forever, in my quiet chains, although I live in nowhere, man, I'm, I'm pale as Jane, I'm pale as Jane. You know, he always had the words, he always had the verbal chops, and he always had that Irish gift of pulling a melody out of anything that I've, I would play for him. Um, and, and then he began to understand how song structure worked and how he had to adjust his poetry um, and his phrasing and the use of his lines so that it worked in a in a song format where, you know, the whole band could play with him. Because, you know, you remember playing with Brendan in the early days, he would go everywhere. You just, he, right. was, he was a live wire. You had no idea where he was going to go. Um, right. And, and, you know, didn't always really land on its feet, to be honest. It, it, it was, it was tough. But um, in the end, he, he got it. Um, yes, yes. I, I got a lovely note from his wife. Um, one, number one, saying uh, that the photograph of us on the back of the record, she said she looks at that every night before she goes to bed and every morning when she wakes up. Uh, she loves that photograph. And she said, you know, Brendan loved you guys. Thank you so much for creating something where he could do something he always wanted to do. You walked down Main Street. It's not the same Look up at the stars Now they spell her name So many things that magic can explain Cause it's love, it's love, it's love But is this some far-out galaxy? Or is this the Spanish maid? It, it always has been one of my favorite groups to play in. I, I, I would have said this was our, our drunken prayer to God, our drunken plea to God. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think it was a very special thing. I, it was 
for me, writing with Brendan for, you know, 25 years, um, it was effortless. And it's, it's kind of really put me in a place now where I'm, I'm, I'm really wondering where to go. And uh, as, a, as a writer, uh, I had this perfect working relationship with Brendan. It was very, very easy. We both knew how to, you know, knew how to face off with one another and create something. Um, and uh, it was just like going to work um, in a, at a job that you really liked. And it was. Um, I think show tunes. Start writing show tunes, Jeff. Okay. I, you know, Manny, I, I think you got something there. I, I, I've always loved show tunes. You know? Yes. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I think you should do the musical to the movie Poltergeist. Yeah. That is your. That's your future, Jeff. That is All your right. future. All right. It's, it's a possible direction to move in. All right. Well, I, you know, I think listening to Manny Chevrolet for my, you know, for, as my uh, as my north star, I'm going with. It. <laughs> We're all going to start smoking cigarettes again and uh, and start writing show tunes. We're gonna we're gonna go back to the uh, the nineteen thirties and forties. Yeah, I've been working on the musical uh, for the movie uh, for the uh, of Mice and Men. I've been working on the musical for that for many years now. Okay, and I have one song, and it it, it goes a little something like this. There's just a little snippet of this one song for the musical of Mice and Men. Okay. Says Lenny, Lenny, how did you get those rabbits in your hat? <laughs> okay, it's a good start. I like that. Yeah, it's, it's a catchy. Yeah, it's a, it's a great start. Don't lose that, man. Don't no, lose that. No. No, we we have it. We have it. Uh, we have it uh, on tape. Oh right? yes, so it's, it's preserved forever. Well, so Jeff, getting back to the uh, the studio and the country uh, uh, recordings. So we did that starting in the early 2010s. Started going up there every few months. We we collected uh, all this material, and we would sometimes go back and just do like an overdub session. We would address one or two songs, three or four songs, whoever we brought with us. And sometimes we'd go back and record new songs. And I remember by the end, the, some of the later recordings, we, we came in and we had three things, one of them being Pale as Jane, and we just reeled them out. And we walked into the control room, and, and Ben goes, Jesus Christ, man, you guys like... What happened, man? You became the Ramones or something, you know? We were able to just come in and, and reel these things off, first takes, and and they worked right away. So, it, it you know, we, we definitely had, uh, you know, had, had become a well-oiled machine in, in, in doing that. So then Brendan is diagnosed, and he's we know he's sick, and we actually think that he's, he's not going to be able to come back and play. Right. Well, that was um, devastating. He um, he was diagnosed with um, stage four cancer, um, three different parts of his body. It didn't look good at all. And um, you know, like you said earlier, he it it it, um, it took him down. He got very weak. He got uh, he went into you know the chemo was reacting poorly with him. And was he, he a smoker? No, no, no. He never smoked cigarettes ever. He, wow. uh, he smoked, he smoked pot. Um, and he, uh, he drank beer, 
but he was not a smoker. Um, and, uh, you know, who knows? Was it family history? Well, I believe both his father and his mother died um, at the same age as he did, 67, wow. 68, something like that. So I, I would say you're probably correct there, Manny. There must be a, something in the DNA like there is for all of us. But I, gotta, I don't know if I have it with me. Somewhere I have a letter that he wrote um, when he woke up from the coma. Mm-hmm. Um, about a week or 10 days after he woke up from the coma, I got a letter from him and it starts off. The rumors of my death are greatly exaggerated. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it went on from there. It was very sweet. Very, very sweet. Very beautiful letter. So let, let's do coma protocol. If How long do you stay in a coma before you tell your people, uh, you know, pl- unplug me? Well, I think what it was, was Betty, um, Betty was just like, you know, well, Betty's an amazing person and Brendan and Betty have been together 50 years and they got married about a month and a half before he passed away. But, um, they were hard, you know, high school sweethearts and were, you know, I wouldn't say inseparable because they had the periods where they lived in different places and, um, but they were always together. Um, and they're beautiful together. They're, you know, perfect for each other. But let me ask you, if you're in a coma, how long do you want to be in a coma before you tell your significant other, pull the plug? I don't know. I mean, it, I'd want to, ASAP if it were me and if, if I got to put that in my will I will because I don't want to linger but Betty the the coma it, it, they couldn't really understand entirely what was going on and I think Betty had so much unresolved business with Brendan um, you know just she didn't get to say a lot of things she wanted to say and you know Brendan had his whole world in New Orleans uh, which meant, you know, rental properties and apartments and storage units and all kind of crap that she basically told the doctor, and I think I can, quoting her, you make sure you wake him up because I got a lot of things to talk about. Right. <laughs> I got a lot of problems with I you. I got a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and she did. Um, here's, I found the letter. The letter says, hey, Jeff, well, I guess you know I'm not dead yet, though I came mighty close. But I'm improving and might get better someday even. I miss you and the geraniums. We are getting good. That last gig at the sidebar, I thought you, Renee, and I had a couple of almost perfect moments. I won't read the whole thing, but it... You wow, know, that's, that's that's beautiful, man. That's that's you know, and and it's classic, Brendan. You get the envelope looked like it'd been on the floor of his car for about six <laughs> years, and there was like some stamp, like diagonally put on the corner. And it was licked just at the bottom, not the whole. Thing. <laughs> so, what about you, Renee? What's your coma protocol? How long do you want to be in a coma? There you before? go. Oh, I don't know. If I'm asleep, I don't care, man. You can. I'll, I'll leave that to you. You can decide, man. You want me to decide your coma future? 
sure, why not? It, it really won't matter to me at that point. But uh, but I was going to say with, with Brendan, but he did come back, and, yes. and not only not only did did he did he live beyond that, he came back down, and we did another two or so years of gigs. That's right. And right. Brendan was so on fire; his 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 performances far from being those of, of someone in a weakened state. It was like someone on a mission, you know, and, and the, the emotional presence was, was so intense that I would always feel like the band better rise to that occasion. Cause this guy is doing it. He, he he's, he's playing for keeps here. No, that's true. He was changed. He was definitely changed after that incident. And, um, and things look good for those two or three years. I mean, his, uh, he was very responsive to the medication. His tumors were shrinking and disappearing. And at one point, his doctors actually told him, you better be careful crossing the street because there's a better chance yeah. you get killed by a car than cancer. Wow. You know, and so we all thought he was out of the woods. I mean, that's, that's what it was looking like. Um, and we played a whole bunch more gigs. In fact, uh-huh. we wound up playing the very last gig that they had at uh, the Circle Bar. That's right. The day before they shut everything down, it was uh, March the fourteenth, uh, two thousand and twenty. The very that was the last, the last gig at the bef- of not only of of that era, but the Circle Bar closed. You know, during during lockdown. So we we the Geraniums were the the final band to uh, to play a gig there at the at the, the Circle Bar. That was a memorial for Damon. Right, right. So, yeah, during this time, uh, we, we, we played a gig uh, uh, like uh, 2019 between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, everybody was there. Uh, Damon, our drummer, goes back up to Little Rock and uh, dies of a heart attack six days after that gig. That's right. So so we were all while we're thinking, oh, we're gonna lose Brendan, Brendan's still here and, and now we're playing a gig, a uh, memorial gig for uh, for Damon. I know. That's crazy man. It was. It was when I got that phone call I was devastated. Um Damon, uh I don't know, you know, many people knew Damon Shea and were lucky enough to know him. I would hold him as one of my best friends in my whole life and um you know, it was, it just crushed me when um, the, his best friend up there in Little Rock called me and told me what happened. It was, um, it was totally unexpected. It, absolutely unexpected. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we definitely didn't, didn't see that coming. And, uh, and yeah, that, that, that was a great gig that we played there, <laughs> that, that last one with him, man. I'm, I'm- that was an incredible gig. Like Alex McMurray was there. Yeah. It was like uh, you know he, he played the whole night with us, and uh, yeah, Brendan was on fire as 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 usual those last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so so then we're all locked down, and and you know you and I started talking. I thought, well, uh, we're obviously not going to be going back in the studio to do any more recordings. Let's I said let's look at what we have, and without even doing any more mixing or anything, let's go back through all of our all of the mixes that we have. That's right, and and just pick uh, our favorite 
ones that we have even it wasn't necessarily the last one wasn't necessarily with all the overdubs it's just uh, how does it strike us and i i thought about it it's kind of like a like a blair witch project kind of like found footage thing the way <laughs> the way we we because we had done all the stuff so long ago it was it was you know, we had some separation between us and having done it. That's so right. we're now we're just listening as fans. So you and I sat down, we listened to every mix that we had and we picked favorites and realized that we had 20 recordings that were never released of all great material, all great performances. And you decided we should go ahead and, and uh, you know, try to try to put this out while while Brendan's still still here with us. That's right. Yeah, and we started working on it, and uh, he was, you know, he was in, in in still pretty reasonable condition when we started working on it, and uh, then something something happened, uh, I guess around March, April of twenty 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 one. He he had some issues develop and. Um, you could just hear it in his voice because at that point, you know, we're in COVID. He can't get on a plane. His immune system is compromised. He's not going anywhere. And he and I were talking, you know, once a week, once every couple weeks. And I was making sure I had his lyrics correct and the way he wanted them uh, punctuated and phrased. Um, the, we talked about the sequence of the record a lot and, uh, I was able to deliver it to him, uh, you know, the final mixes and the the rough uh, a rough copy of a very good rough copy of the the artwork that that your wife Tana did, which is amazing, um, and show it to him. He got to see it a couple of days before he passed away. He was thrilled. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think that what was really interesting about you and I sitting in those two chairs in my house and listening to all those mixes is probably 70% of the things we chose were first takes. Yeah. And, you know, Tom Marin playing violin and harmonica and just the basic band. And then um, we chose a lot of things that Gerald played on uh, as well, uh, Gerald McCollum. Who's you right. know also a, a geranium side man? Is for, Tom Marin still alive? Yes, he is. Of course, yeah. Yes. Where yeah. the hell has he been? Tom lives right on the bayou where he has for forever. He's still living right there? I never see him anymore because I used to see him wandering around the bayou constantly. I don't see him much anymore. He doesn't have a dog anymore, and you used to probably see him walking his big dog Pickle. Yeah. So, you know, he's around. Uh, he and I still, uh, you know, occasionally get together. And he's got one of the greatest porches in the city of New Orleans. Uh, right. Yeah, on the I saw him at the supermarket maybe five years ago. And he looked very disheveled. And I said, hey, Tom, what's going on? And he said, who are you? And why are you talking to me? That <laughs> <laughs> sounds like your line. Man. It does. Well, it does. But I said, I'm Manny, man. Don't you remember me? And he says, oh, yeah, Manny. And then he tried to take the shopping cart. You know how those shopping carts have those security things where you can't take them off the lot? 
you know, right. you know, they stop and he was pushing the cart and trying to get it over that yellow line <laughs> for the longest time. And so I gave up on him that right then and there. I said, I'll, I'll see you later, man. Good luck with that. Right, you know? right. Huh. So he's still around? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I run into Tom periodically. Well, you know, Jeff, as I, what I was realizing as I listened to this record is none of those mixes are mixes that we like signed off on. All those mixes are mixes that Ben Mumphrey did on his own and sent to us. And so, you know, Ben's fingerprints are all over this, all the, those choices about effects and how, how things are sitting in the mix and all that's like, like Ben's like the, the sixth member of the band oh, absolutely. You know, making all those, all those decisions on his own, just cause he, he understood, you know, what the band was about and, and could, could make those decisions. Well, most of those mixes were done the day of the recording right. with us there. They were basically us listening to the playback and him, you know, setting levels, you know, you know, doing, doing what engineers do and, you know, producing a record so that we could get it uh, a, a rough mix to take home with us. Right. But all the effects, the where, where things are sitting in the field, that's, that's right. all, that's, that's all Ben's, Ben's doing. Yep. And, uh, and man, it's, uh, you know, it's a it's a lot of material, man. But it's 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 a heavy collection there. It's really you know a double album's worth of, of material. But uh, man, what a what a tremendous thing! It's it means so much for me to have have done that. And and you know, there's plenty of bands you play in you love, and but then once they're over, they're over. And but but this one, it's that's the case. But we have this this tremendous document that. Uh, you know, it's, it's priceless for me. Yeah, and we have the experience of, of, of working together and, and digging each other and, and being able to um, help Brendan grow into what he, he became. Um, I think that's one of the greatest achievements of my life is just being near that person, you know, and watch. It's like it's... And I hate to use the analogy because it, I don't mean it to be belittling or demeaning, but it's like raising a child. You know, you somebody who's so innocent and so talented. And then, you know, by the time we're done, he's like better than all of us. Uh -huh. <laughs> I remember, remember the time we were practicing at the Mermaid and he just couldn't figure out when to do anything. And you were getting really frustrated with him. And you said something like, Brendan, why don't you describe to me what goes on in your head when you're doing one of these songs? <laughs> and he said, well, well, I sing, and then you guys go da 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 And then I sing again, and then, and then I, I really don't know what goes on. And then I sing again. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, oh, okay. Well, I'll be more understanding if that's what's going oh, on yeah. in your head. You were like, we were all like, holy shit, man. You know, I like that in, in, on one of these takes, we, we preserved where we're, we're playing the intro and you hear Brendan go, tell me when. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you must've like nodded to him and then he immediately starts singing, right? Right. And says, tell me when. I, I nodded to him on every gig. <laughs> right. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Tell me when. 
gonna be happy I'm gonna be great It's me in the vanguard of the Light Horse Brigade It's me of the Light Horse Brigade I said goodbye to Molly and goodbye to Mary There was something about the light that night There was something about the light I said goodbye to Molly And goodbye to Mary Something about the light that night There was something about the light But I couldn't see nothing I saw everything in sight There wasn't a sound but a profundity it's interesting. I, I, uh, Tom, Tom was such a great contributor to this band and, and uh, loved Brendan's lyrics and, and you know the, the way he approached music so much um, that he, he, he you know he had some trouble with the band as the band grew and became different things and added personnel. And uh, I never quite really understood why. And then during Hurricane Ida, he came over and we, after it was over, we were both still in town and we played some music and he told, we got in, onto the subject of this and he said that, you know, he really thought adding a rhythm section totally was not the way Brendan thought. That he was so abstract that we, sh you know, he, he could have just as easily just gone and done stuff without the restrictions of time. You know what I mean? And, sure. uh, and that Tom sort of thought that was a more natural environment for Brendan to play in. Um, and I totally respect that point of view. I mean, I know that it took Brendan a long time before he, he, he got, got comfortable with the rules of playing with a band. You yeah, know? but it made it it made it rock so much harder, man. It made it gave it gave it so much more uh, so more breadth so much more breadth of uh, of of dynamics. Yes. So. so you guys are releasing a new thing, right? The geraniums, new what what is this? A new CD? Yes, a CD. Uh, Hope is not for the weak. Yeah, great, all right. Great so, title. Uh, two of the band members are dead. So right. you can't promote, you can't go on tour, right? You can't, can't go on tour. Yeah. We never toured anyway, yeah, but we can't. So, all right, so monies made from this new record or album, whatever you want to call it, are the two dead members going to make get their monies too? Well, right now, the proceeds from this record are going to the uh, New Orleans Musicians Clinic. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Uh, yeah. Betty... That Brendan and I, uh, all our band camp stuff went there. I just got a really great email from them thanking us for that. And, and uh, so we are making some money for them. Uh, you know, I'm both Betty and I, I, I mailed Betty off a you know, big old box of CDs and she's giving them out and I'm giving them out. And, um, you know, we're not, never have been careerists. At this. No, this this nobody playing in this band was ever doing it for the money. the The rewards were spiritual and and uh, musical, not not monetary. Nobody ever thought that there was money in this. That's that's not why we were doing it. 
Yeah, but you're right, Manny. Two of the band members are dead, and uh, it's a it's a high percentage, man. I I told God, I said, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> Bad odds here, man. Yeah, yeah. Get out while you can, man. Yeah. Get out while you can. I'll go down with the ship. Uh, 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 Jeff, you know, as I said, we, we were, you and I were talking about, we're going to try to organize a, uh, a, some, some sort of get together yeah. uh, somewhere down the line where we can, um, play the record and, and, you know, have everybody gather that was, that were fans and maybe even, uh, you know, have some, some, some guest vocalists who were fans come in and perform some of, uh, of you and, and Brendan's songs there. And as a, as a final memorial for, uh, for our our departed comrades and this this great great record that we've that we've done uh, together. Yeah, I, I I miss playing with y'all so much, but um, I am uh, lucky that I got to do it. I'm really yeah. lucky that I got to do it. Yeah, we all are. All right, well, listen, I've got to pee like the Hoover Dam, so let's end this show right now. Yeah, it sounds like a sounds like a good idea. Well, Jeff, thanks so much. Uh, you know, uh, I'm glad that we could have you back on after uh, you know uh, after a hundred and seventy something uh, episodes. So you know, maybe in three and a half years we can have you back on. So play your cards right and uh, and Manny, one thing. Well, one of you will be dead in three and a half years. I guarantee it. But Manny, Manny, ma- please lift lift the seat. Lift the seat, yeah. <laughs> I always do. Ah. Treble Nation, you know what to do, right? Uh, what's a, a struggle? Uh, what, what is our tagline, Renee? In the Troubleman Podcast, we like to say, trouble never ends. Uh, struggle continues. Good night. Good night.
sky breaks down in the lonely heart of town and the air becomes a pinkish gray when the light ship sinks beneath a thousand drinks and the waiter stumbles all those other men, they're losers You and me must be the choosers Stop thinking like a loser I'm here to stay I'm a satellite of your planet The pips in your pomegranate when the night becomes another day I'm here to stay I'm here to stay You can try, but you won't make me go away I'm here to stay Try, but you won't make me go away. Cashback deal Drunk behind the wheel And at your altar I pray When the past comes fast And the wind says nothing lasts Your flag is up my mast I'm here to stay I'm here to stay I'm here to stay You can try Don't make me go away I'm here to stay I'm here to stay can try, you won't make me go away. I'm